Hello, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Horizon Church in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We want to help people connect with God and connect with each other. If you'd like to know more about us, you can go to our website at horizonconnect.org. Enjoy. Father, we've spent the last six days, uh, as we do all the time, we've spent the last six days often working very hard to make a living, working hard to get things done, very busy, very distracted. And God, we, um, this day is different. This is a gift. This is a day when after six days of working hard, this is a day when you intend for our souls to be restored and our sanity to be restored. So I pray, God, that as we meet and connect, that you'll be doing exactly that, that you'll find a way to restore us, to remind us what is important, to reconnect with human beings, and to grow and reestablish and to be strengthened in our connection with you. God, and we are here as, as um, parents and as grandparents, as single people. We're, we're married, we're divorced, we're in broken and breaking marriages. And we often come because we need help from you. We need wisdom as parents. Um, sometimes, God, we, as grandparents, we need healing in relationships with our kids. And sometimes, God, we haven't had opportunities to see our grandkids. And there's all kinds of friction and brokenness in our families. So, God, I want to pray that in all of those situations, I pray, God, that you'd be giving the wisdom that we need. I pray, God, that you'll be giving us grace to know how to navigate through the difficulties and through the brokenness that we're experiencing in our lives. I pray, God, you'd, that you'd actually be bringing healing to a lot of those relationships. Um, God, we're here with uh, pasts. Sometimes our pasts are hidden from everybody. Sometimes, God, we've worked very hard to forgive to, to forget our own past. I pray, God, that you'd be helping us to know and experience the reality of forgiveness and to know, God, that our past can be redeemed and that you can take a lot of that ugliness and you can build it into something in our lives which is grand and beautiful. And I pray, God, that you'll be doing that for those of us who need it. God, we are here as people who need hope. Some of us really need healing from some sicknesses and physical problems we're dealing with. Some of us need some help with anxiety and fears that we're struggling with. Um, and God, I am so grateful that we can trust you to be a God that knows all of these things even better than we do. And I, I pray, God, that... Um, I pray, God, that what we do would allow you an opportunity to connect with every single one of us with our very different needs and experiences and that you will be at work bringing us what we need. God, we're going to pay attention to your word and um, I know how easy it is for me to be distracted in studying and in preparation and I know sometimes, God, I kind of land on ideas that maybe are more mine than yours. 
And if that is true in any way this morning, I pray that you will guard us through your spirit, that you'll guard us from being influenced the wrong way through anything I say. Uh, But everything that's true, God, I pray that you will be at work transforming us, building us into the kind of people you want us to be, the kind of people we really want to be as well. Change us and grow us so that we can... um, We can be who you've designed us to be. God, as we start this morning, I'm going to ask today that you give us wisdom. You you told us in the Bible that if we ask, you will give wisdom generously. So that's my prayer for us this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Um, about, about 20 years ago when um, Donna and I were, um, we were relatively new to our new house, we had a, a water emergency on a Sunday morning, which is not a good morning for a pastor to have a water emergency. Um, and the, uh, a little, the previous owner of our house um, has always been one of my most unfavorite people because of how he fixed things in that house. Um, windows were held in with packing tape. Um, our gutters and our downspouts were held together with duct tape. He had, uh, he had covered holes in walls with pictures that we didn't discover until the day we bought the house and did that last-minute walkthrough. So he was always a person, uh, one of my most unfavorite. One of the things he did in that house um, is he had two water supply lines, cheap plastic water supply lines that were attached to the kitchen sink and they went down the wall and they went down to the basement. And each of them had uh, cheap plastic spigots and there was no sink. These water supply lines, these spigots went nowhere. The spigots were about knee level in the basement, no sink. I have no idea why he put them there, never figured it out. But obviously they had spigots, otherwise there'd be water flowing all over a basement. But anyway, on this particular Sunday morning, I don't remember how, but somebody discovered that one of these spigots at knee level had a slow leak. So I went downstairs. I was already in my suit and tie. I habitually go to church uh, very early on a Sunday morning. So it was pretty early. I was already in my suit and tie, which was my uniform back then. And I, and I knelt down, and I looked at this spigot that was leaking. And I thought to myself, well, I wonder if I can just uh, close this spigot a little bit tighter. Um, I wonder if I can stop the leak. And this is true. I was kneeling there, and all I did is touch the plastic spigot. I didn't turn it or anything. The second I touched it, the whole thing just exploded. It just shattered in my hand, and suddenly water is just flowing everywhere into our basin. Now, at that time, there were no supply, there was no shutoffs to any supply lines, so the only way to turn the water off was to turn the water off to the whole house, which meant that that Sunday morning, There were going to be no showers for anybody, no teeth brushing, no breakfast, no flushing toilets, or anything that would need water for Donna and for, at that time, my my very young children. So my suit was already soaked, and because it was still early, because I go to church early on a Sunday, I knew that I had time that morning that, that I could run to Home Depot, I could snag a spigot and fix it. And um, it it meant that all I was going to do was, it would just mean I would get to church late, I would miss my Sunday morning prep and prayer time, but it had to be. So I ran to Home Depot, and I bought a single spigot, which was mistake number one, 
Um, and I got home, and very quickly I got the thing fixed. I went up, cleaned myself up, changed into my second suit, the only other suit I have, by the way, um, and, and dressed again. And just before I left, I thought, you know, I'm going to go downstairs to the basement. I'm going to make sure that that, that spigot is not leaking. Um, and I, I knelt there and looked at that spigot hanging there in space. And, and do you know what I thought? I thought, well, I wonder why that first one blew up when I touched it. I wonder if the second one is any better. And do you know what I did? I reached out and touched it. And do you know what happened? I did not even need, need to wait to hear Donna say the word. I just called myself idiot at that moment. And I started the whole process all over again. And that Sunday morning, I missed Sunday school and got there late. Would it not be a good thing for all of us if we learned our lessons the first time around? How many of you have repeatedly made the same mistake over and over and over? Wouldn't it be good wouldn't we save ourselves a lot of heartbreak, a lot of pain, if we learned our lessons the first time around? We are now pushing the reset button as a church and in life. And from the last year and a half, we have so much that we could learn. So much to learn. But what that means is that we actually have to take the time to be deliberate and think about learning some lessons. That's what we're going to do this morning. Um, I've already prayed that God would give us wisdom. So I'm trusting that God will. That as we work to learn some lessons, that God will give us wisdom in our learning. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to talk about how God gives wisdom and how we learn and then we're going to take some time deliberately to talk about lessons we've learned in the last year and a half. Okay? It's not really a question. We're going to do it anyway. But that's the deal. Now, there are, in the Bible, there are a couple books that are entirely devoted to the subject of wisdom, godly wisdom. Probably the single most well-known book in the Bible devoted to the subject of godly wisdom is the book of Proverbs. So I'm going to read from the book of, of Proverbs, chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 13 to 18. It'll be on the screen, or you can follow along in your own Bibles. This is a little poem about wisdom. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for wisdom is more profitable than silver, and yields better returns than gold. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her, with wisdom. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left are riches and honor. She will guide you down delightful paths. All her ways are peace." 
Wisdom is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. And those who hold fast to her will be blessed. Now, with that still up there on a screen, I want to call your attention to two key words in this little ode to wisdom. The first key word is obvious. It's the word wisdom. We'll get to that word in a second. But there's a second word that is key to understanding this, and it's the word blessed. Now, I left this up there so that you can see this. This may not be the way your Bible reads or the way it looks, but I don't know if you noticed this. In the translation that I'm using, did you notice that the word blessed is very deliberately the first word and very deliberately the last word of the poem, first and last, and that's important. Because in Hebrew literature, which is what this is, in Hebrew literature, whenever you see a word or a theme that kind of bookends a subject like this, first and last, then you know that what the author is telling you is, this is an important word, an important theme. And what the author is saying in this little poem is that when you get wisdom, you will be blessed. So, question, what does it mean to be blessed? There's a young woman that I see at the gym that I go to. Um, She's there in the very dark, early hours of the morning, and she often wears a pair of yoga pants that has in pink letters the word blessed across her backside. I'm not sure that an ample derriere is what God has in mind for being blessed. That word blessed has gotten a little hashtag cheapened in the last little while in our world. If you look online at what it means to be blessed, in our world, you can find a picture, as I did, a picture of a young, stunningly beautiful and tanned couple sipping expensive whiskey in the middle of the Mediterranean, sitting on a yacht named Blessed. Or you can see a picture of a famous celebrity wagging her ring finger And on that finger is an engagement ring with a diamond as big as a golf ball with the caption, blessed. I don't know those people. I don't know how they got what they got. But it seems to me that a better hashtag might be the word bragging rather than the word blessed. It's true. It's true. If you read this little poem in Proverbs, it's true that it's very clear that being blessed brings good things to our lives. But if you look at it and if you read it carefully, what it actually says is that the blessing of wisdom is better than gold. It is more profitable than silver It is more precious than a whole yacht full of rubies. It doesn't say that the blessing is these things. It says it is better than these things. Now, it's true if you keep reading, and even in that little poem, it's very obvious that when you live a blessed life, 
that a blessed life will bring to you honor from your peers, and a blessed life will bring to you long life, and a blessed life will bring to you prosperity. But those are not promises. It's not saying that every blessed person gets to live to be 99 years old and every blessed person gets to be rich and every blessed person lives to be honored. To be blessed is a kind of life. Not what you have in life. It's a kind of life. That's why there are those phrases in verse 17 in what we read, those phrases describing a blessed life, a life of wisdom, those phrases about delightful paths and satisfying ways. In Hebrew, paths and ways are simply synonyms for living a life. They're just descriptions of a life. Like Psalm 23, for example, a very famous psalm, where David wrote about a good shepherd, and David said, the shepherd leads me down right paths, describing a way of living. So to be blessed results from a kind of life, a life of character and a life of courage. Being blessed comes from persevering when you face obstacles in life. Being blessed comes from being generous, regardless whether you have a little or whether you have a lot. Being blessed results from standing for justice when everybody else is saying, I'd rather be comfortable. Being blessed results from having a consistent character when everybody else is being two-faced. So being blessed comes from a kind of life, which means you can be blessed if you have a skinny little behind sitting in a leaky canoe on Leaser Lake, sipping warm Coke and not wearing any engagement ring at all. You don't need to have any of those things to be blessed. But you still sense that God is smiling on you and you possess a certain kind of joy and there are people in your lives who are grateful for you and you have persevered through obstacles and if so, Scripture says you're blessed. So, it's true, according to Proverbs, that the right kind of life very often brings a long life, and the right kind of living very often brings prosperity, and the right kind of living very often brings honor. But not always. Not always. I just saw a post. Actually, when I researched this post, I found out it's actually from a year ago, from 2020, but I just saw it this year. There's a young man in Florida, this guy, um, who was named valedictorian of his class, which simply means, I shouldn't say simply because it's not simple at all, but it means that he had the highest grade point average in his graduating class. He's received oodles of scholarship awful, offers. But what separates this guy from almost every other high school valedictorian is that for many years during his school years, from beginning through, through graduation from high school, many of those years he was actually homeless. For three different periods in his life during school, three different periods, he spent long years with his mom, homeless, fleeing from an abusive dad who was ultimately ended up uh, being arrested for murder. Sometimes they lived in homeless camps underneath bridges. Sometimes they lived in shelters. But he persevered. 
he pursued the right kind of living. And in the interview, both he and his mom said the phrase more than once, we are blessed. We are blessed. And I would say so. I think so. So, the first key word is to be blessed. The second key word is the word wisdom. And in this little poem, the author is very clear in saying it's wisdom that brings about a blessed life. Blessed is the person who gets wisdom. That's how the, the proverb begins. Blessed is the person who gets wisdom. So, what is wisdom? Well, in the book of Proverbs, when you read through it, there are a whole lot of uh, synonyms for the word wisdom. In fact, even in just these few verses, there are several synonyms used for wisdom. In the second line, for example, one of the synonyms is the word understanding. So wisdom is understanding. You could keep reading Proverbs, and there are, there are plenty of other synonyms for wisdom. Uh, knowledge is one. Instruction is one. Uh, the, the phrase to, to receive correction or discipline. Skill, cleverness, learning, to benefit from counsel or advice. All of those words in the book of Proverbs are sometimes used in exchange for the word wisdom. But here's the thing. In many ways, it's not correct to say that they're synonyms, that they mean the same thing because they don't. It's actually more correct to say that all of those things, all of those things together are what wisdom is. Because if you would take just one of those words and say, well, it means the same thing, it doesn't mean the same thing exactly. Take the word knowledge, which sounds very similar to wisdom. Lots and lots of times there are people who have a lot of knowledge, but they know they do, and they become arrogant. We all have read about people, we, all, we may even know people who have a lot of knowledge, and because they have a lot of knowledge, they think of themselves as the smartest people in the room. And he or she becomes obnoxious and arrogant. A wise person is not like that. A smart person can be arrogant and obnoxious. But you would never ever look at a person that you would call wise and say, yeah, he's wise, but he's arrogant. A wise person is never arrogant, never obnoxious. So, what's wisdom? Well, people say, to be wise means you know how to do the right thing at the right time in the right way. In fact, you can apply this to our words. How does a wise person speak? Well, a wise person knows how to say the right thing at the right time in the right way. Jesus was like this. Jesus, when you read through the Gospels, Jesus didn't have a formula, never had a memorized speech that he repeated to everybody. But no matter who Jesus was talking to, whether it's somebody who was just curious about him or whether it was somebody who was devoted to him or whether it was an enemy, Jesus always knew how to deal with people wisely, said the right thing 
at the right time in the right way. I think that's a great definition of biblical wisdom, to learn how to do the right thing at the right time in the right way. Now, here's the thing. What Proverbs is telling us is to get wisdom, to find wisdom. And once you find it, the proverb says, hold on to it tightly. In other words, wisdom is acquired. You learn it. No one is born with wisdom, no one. It has to be acquired. You have to get it. You have to learn it. So how does a person get wisdom? Well, the Bible says there are three ways to get wisdom. Number one, very simply, the Bible says ask for it. I prayed when we started deliberately, I prayed that God would give us wisdom. There's a guy named James who's the brother of Jesus. He wrote a letter, a small book in the back of our Bibles. It has his name on it, his title for it. Uh, his name is the title, the book of James. And James says, look, if you need wisdom, ask our generous father and he will give it to you. Now, I'm pretty sure James knows that, being a Jewish man, he knows that because he learned a Sunday school lesson in his Jewish scriptures in the synagogues about a man who did exactly that, who asked for wisdom. There's an ancient Jewish story about King Saul, who may have been, I think, probably the most successful king of Israel if you judge by the world's standards of kingishness. And when Saul became king of Israel, his first prayer to God was, he said, God, please make me a wise ruler of my people. He asked for wisdom and God gave it to him. And he was wise, at least for a time. In fact, many of the Proverbs in our Bibles are attributed to King Saul. So you get wisdom by asking for it. Now, here's the thing. I don't think necessarily that what that means is that if you ask God, give me wisdom, that God just kind of miraculously drops little bits of wisdom in our brain. I think that the way God gives us wisdom, usually, he can get to give us wisdom if he wants, but I think the way God usually gives us wisdom is by operating through the other two ways that the Bible talks about getting wisdom. So here are the other two ways. Number one was ask for it. Number two, wisdom comes to us through revelation. And what that means is that wisdom has to be revealed to us. It has to be given to us. It isn't something that's just floating around out there. It has to be given to us. For example, in the Sermon on the Mount, a sermon that Jesus preached, long sermon, chapter 5, 6, and 7 in Matthew, when Jesus finished his sermon, he's wrapping things up. His conclusion to the sermon, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7. He says, now, having said all those things, having taught you all these things, anyone who listens to these words of mine is wise. Like a man who builds his house on a rock. And anybody who doesn't listen to these words of mine is a fool like a man who builds his house on sand. Which, if you think about it, that's an astonishing statement. I don't know any other teacher or preacher, myself included, who would ever say to you, and if someone does, run. I don't know of any teacher that I ever, ever say, if you listen to these words of mine, 
you listen to these words of mine, you will be wise. But Jesus said that. My words, he said, can, can bring you wisdom. So wisdom comes to us by revelation. It's revealed in the teaching of Jesus. It's revealed through scripture. Then the third way that we get wisdom, according to the Bible, is through observation. Uh, this is exactly the way that Solomon got his wisdom in the Old Testament. Solomon said, Solomon said, look, I very carefully observed the world. And when you read through the Proverbs, you actually are reading his observations. Solomon says things like, look at the ants, look at the foxes. He observed workers and he observed bosses. He observed rich people and poor people. He observed lazy people and productive people and on and on and on. And through these observations, Solomon said, I gained wisdom. In other words, he asked God for it, but God gave it to him as he was observing the world around him. In fact, if you, if you ever read the book of Ecclesiastes, the whole book of Ecclesiastes, which is a book attributed to Solomon, whether he wrote it or not, I don't know, but the whole book of Ecclesiastes is a book in which Solomon says, I set out to experience and observe everything I could. And through observation and experience, he says, I grew wise. By the way, um, Isaac Newton had the exact same conviction that Solomon did. Isaac Newton says that he came to his knowledge and his wisdom because he believed that the universe came from an ordered mind, the mind of God. Therefore, he said, if the universe comes through an ordered mind, the universe must be a place of order and laws and reason. And it is. Otherwise, there's no such thing as science. And Newton said, it comes through knowledge. Wisdom comes through observation. So you ask God, God, give me wisdom. And then God gives us wisdom through observation. Now, here we are as a church and as human beings and as people in society, we are, we are now emerging from a really, really difficult time. Not just from COVID, but from all of the racial tensions and strife and a whole lot more that we've been through. I want to learn from what we've been through. I don't want to repeat the mistakes that we've made. I want to grow. I want to gain wisdom. So I started this morning by praying, asking God to give us wisdom. And I want to pay attention. I want to be deliberate about paying attention to what God has revealed. So what have we learned specifically what have you learned? I want to suggest to you, um, I was going to give you time, but um, I'm, I changed my mind. Um, so I want to suggest that maybe you even want to grab a piece of paper or those little uh, Google doodle pads that are in your uh, card holder. And maybe as I'm talking, maybe you want to write a short list or jot notes about what you've learned, because I'm going to give you five things that I've learned. These are things I've been writing in my journal about what I've learned. Number one, I've learned that anxiety can be caught. Anxiety is, is, is caught. It's taught. Either one or both. Anxiety is caught, taught. Anybody here who works in the helping field, deals with people, you know that we're in an anxiety epidemic. And we have been. 
since long before COVID. We have been. Now, I know, and any of you who are counselors, look, I know it's not this simple. I know it's more complicated. I'm not pretending it's this simple. But as I watched this whole thing play out for the last year and a half, I realized very early on that we were, as a culture, as human beings, we were being encouraged to be anxious. Maybe with good reason. But what happened to us is that we were scared into caution. From the very beginning, keep your distance. Wash every item that comes into your home from the grocery store. Viruses can live on pizza boxes for 12 days. Wear a mask, too, if you can. And on and on and on and on. Now, I have the benefit of being an old fart, and I lived through a very similar scare. Some of you did too, and maybe you remember it. A very similar scare back in the mid to late 1980s when another virus, now identified as HIV, exploded into our world. Because I was a pastor then and was responsible for public situations, I vividly remember the same hysteria. I remember people carrying alcohol wipes around so that they could wipe doorknobs, clean bathroom seats. I remember the news media discussing with panicked explanations about airplane seats and airplane air and yada, 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 yada. So I was 100% certain that a couple months into this, I knew what we would hear having heard the panic hysteria, I knew that we would hear exactly what we heard. Hey, guess what? You really don't get this virus from pizza boxes and doorknobs and bags of groceries. It's not transmitted on surfaces. To get it on a surface, you'd have to have somebody sneeze and immediately you're going to lick it up. That's about the only way. Now, The truth is, giving a warning about something like COVID is a good thing. It's necessary. Caution is necessary. But I also knew, having lived through it, that for lots and lots and lots of people, once we were taught to be anxious, a lot of people were going to have a hard time letting it go. So this is something all of us should take to heart. In our culture, in our world, because in our culture, we no longer have the ability to talk about moral authority. In other words, because of our culture and the way it is, we can't anymore talk about a thing that's right and wrong, good or bad. What we have done now for more than a generation, because we can't use moral authority, what we must now do is scare people into a certain kind of good thinking. What we do is scare people into conforming. I was a victim of this back in my school years, and many of us are. Students still are. For example, many of us can remember, many of us of a certain age, we can remember the film that we saw in driver's ed class when our driver's ed teacher told us, quote, 
Every time you take a swallow of alcohol, you're killing your brain cells. Anybody else remember that film? You take a swallow of alcohol, you're killing your brain cells. And they said, you only have so many, and they don't grow. So when you kill them, those suckers are gone forever. That was the message. Now, I don't know the science behind that. I don't know. It may be true. But I was pretty certain, sitting in restaurants, watching my grandfather drink a beer or whatever it was, I was pretty certain that with every swallow, there goes 10,000 brain cells, and he's never getting them back. And I was scared. I was scared. Then there was the movie we watched when I was in junior high school, the movie that scared us into convictions about global cooling. Not saying this is... But when I was in junior high school, that movie, that lesson, told us that by now, by this year, all of us should be living in igloos and wearing mucklucks and telling our grandchildren about tall things that were green called trees that no longer exist. And it didn't quite work out that way. I, as a winter lover, I wish it had. <laughs> but it's a very different world. Anyway, not arguing against caution at all and science, but we need to remember that we are constantly being fed anxiety-causing news and anxiety-causing information. Anxiety is caught and taught in its epidemic. So three things I'd suggest to you. Number one, parents. Please teach and pray for your kids to be brave. Make that your goal. Be conscious of how you're communicating with your kids. Don't teach them to be afraid. Teach them to be brave. Number two, pray for boldness and then act boldly. It does not matter how anxious you feel, you can act boldly. If you're still dealing with anxiety, and many people are, then start acting boldly. Get out. Get here on a Sunday morning. Churches should be open. It's embarrassing that they're not. Get out. Number three, follow the wisdom of biblical authors the wisdom of revelation. Authors like Paul, for example, who said very practically, look, don't be anxious about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Then you will experience God's peace, which far exceeds anything you can understand. Or listen to Jesus, who in the Sermon on the Mount said, look, you don't have to be anxious about tomorrow. Trust your Father who takes care of the birds and takes care of the, the flowers. Of course, he'll take care of you. Choose to believe that Jesus is telling you the truth. Choose to believe he's telling you the truth. Second lesson that I learned, I learned that we human beings are so very easily divided. It disturbs me that we will surrender relationships over silly things like masks. We followers of Jesus have to get a whole lot more serious about the love thing. 
I think Jesus meant it when he said, love your enemies. I think he meant it. I think he meant it when he said, treat other people the way you want to be treated. I have to work on this. I'm still doing this. But it amazes me. I learned it amazes me how tribal and how clustered and how quickly we become divided. Third lesson I learned. I learned of myself that it is very, very hard for me to give up cherished ideas and beliefs. Starting with the murder of George Floyd, and even, even well before that, I had started on a very deliberate, and it turns out that it was a very steep learning curve. And it's a learning curve that isn't over yet for me. I've had to change, and I've had to give up certain beliefs that I thought were rock solid. And it's been hard. It's almost been like chiseling granite away from my heart and my mind. But I have learned if I am not willing to do that, if I'm not willing to give up cherished beliefs that have been challenged, then God's transformation of me can never happen. Change is never possible because learning and growing will always rattle us to our core. And that's a good thing, but it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's like having to put to sleep a lifelong friend, somebody you've grown comfortable with. But it turns out it's a really good thing. It's a growing thing. So be willing to examine your cherished beliefs and to sometimes say, I think I was wrong. Number four, I learned... Simple is good. Now, I'm fully aware, and I almost feel bad talking about this one because I'm aware, honestly, there are, there are a lot of you, parents with young kids, for example, who suddenly found yourselves working at home and juggling school, or healthcare workers. I know that the last year and a half, especially the beginning, was just horrendous for you, but it wasn't for me. A couple of you have heard me say that those first couple of weeks when the shutdown happened last March were absolutely wonderful. Home every evening, meals with my family. After those first couple of weeks, life got more complicated, but I had learned something in those three weeks that we kept doing. Donna and I learned to deliberately adore simple so we started doing things like make your own pizza night rather than Donna calling from work on Friday and saying, I'm picking up pizza so we can wolf down pizza and get on to the next thing. We now do, sometimes during the week, we do pizza night or taco mountain night, which is more of my favorite because I can put a lot of hot peppers on my corner of the taco night. But we learned to absolutely love standing side by side in the kitchen with other family members and other friends, elbow to elbow, rolling out pizza dough and just kind of opening the refrigerator and the cupboards and piling on anything that we can find that we want to put on it. I learned that simple is good. It can be hard in our world. It's tough. But we're working to hang on to it because I believe to my core that Sabbath is a gift. That for human beings who are busy and stressed out and hurried, God said, let me give you a gift gift of rest. Simple is good. 
The fifth thing I learned, it truly is more of a blessing to give. When Corey Robbins and her family got hold of a, a blessing box from Amanda Miller, and in the front corner of our property, they put it up. And we as a church started stocking that blessing box with all kinds of supplies that we thought neighbors might need, from pasta to toilet paper, from peanut butter to soap. We found as a church that we were able to interact with more people from our neighborhood than we ever imagined. We also learned that some of our neighbors were so enthused that they started jumping in and they started filling the blessing box and they started leaving extras that they had at their home. And people were extraordinarily grateful. This is one of those areas where um, I'm jealous for you or whatever that I wish that you could have been here with me in those early months when I would see somebody pull up to the blessing box and then they would come to the glass doors and they would knock on the glass door with tears flowing down their cheeks and they would want to give a hug and say thank you. And I, I hope I never forget. It was such a clear picture of what we are and who we are that the church is only really being the church when we get out of the building. When we are, in the words of Jesus, salt and light in our community. This idea, by the way, that it's, it's more of a blessing to give. This actually comes word from, word from Donna when I was sitting at our table last night working on this. And I asked her, so what did you learn? And she pulled out her journal. And she said to me, she reminded me of this truth, that it's more blessed to give because she talked about what she learned. And she talked about for her, it was, such an, it was such a joy for her back in the early days, March and April of two years ago, when it was just the band and the tech team here and I was staring at a camera with nobody sitting here, um, it was such a blessing, Donna said, to actually make breakfast every Sunday morning for Mike Orner, who didn't share with the band, but <laughs> for, uh, for Donna to make breakfast for the band and the tech table. She said it was such a blessing during that time to have the time to write notes to people that I usually don't write to, such a blessing to be on kind of group chats saying to each other things like, do you have yeast? I don't have yeast, but I have eggs. Anybody want to change, exchange yeast first? And Donna said it was such a blessing to be part of a group of people who cared. So those are mine. Well, one is borrowed from Donna, but those are the lessons that I learned. But here's the thing. They only become lessons if you live them. They only become lessons if you live them. So what have you learned? I hope you take the time, however you do it, I hope you take the time to ask yourself, what have I learned? You know, we have, it, this is still there. If you drive by the front corner of our property, there's a cross kind of around the corner now. It's a wooden cross. I actually had to clean that cross off when this past Good Friday, I wanted to bring it in and use it in here, which is a couple Easter's ago. I made that cross, but we don't have a place to store stuff like that. So it went to the front corner. And I don't know if any of you noticed this. Maybe some of you who are neighbors, maybe you saw this. But the cross, which was on the front corner of our property, it became kind of a memorial during COVID. Um, someone hung a necklace. The first thing that appeared on it was a necklace. I heard the story. Uh, a grandmother who died who had given that necklace to a young girl. 
And then a picture appeared. And then small toys. And then some hospital ID bracelets. A little heart bracelet. And it turns out that early on, in what was a very dark and ugly time, people were looking for healing and they were looking for hope and they came to a cross. Where else do you get healing and genuine hope if not here? Do you know any other group of people in the whole wide world who say that they follow someone who can turn water into wine? Do you know any other group of people in the whole wide world who say that they follow someone who can open the eyes of the blind? In the darkness, if we don't shine, who will? In the ashes, if we don't rise, who will? There is no one like our Savior. There is no one like our God. And what a shame if we keep him to ourselves. So let's pray. God, I pray that you would be reminding us teaching us lessons that we must learn about who we are as people and as a church. God, thank you for what you taught me. I know that I've been changed and I've grown. And God, help me, in the words of Proverbs, to hold tightly to the wisdom you gave. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about Horizon Church, please go to the website at horizonconnect.org. Have a great week.